Hey, welcome to episode three of The Boost with our guest, Dr. Brett Talbot from Videra Health. Let's go. All right. Welcome to episode three of The Boost, conversations with people promoting mental health. And I'm your host, Steve Turney. And I'm thrilled to be here with Dr. Brett Talbot, CCO and co-founder of Videra Health. Dr. Talbot, how are you? Today is a great day, Steve, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Excellent. Nice. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, good. I've skied at Snowbird out that way. That's my <laughs> one experience. Been a good snow season. <laughs> good. Are you? Are, do you get into the powder? Are you like snowboarder, skier? Yeah, grew up, grew up skiing, and then switched to snowboarding as a teenager in the '90s, like most, right? <laughs> uh, but then, yep, now I have little kids, and uh, so yeah, we still, we still get up into the into the hills and on the slopes. Awesome. Good. Well, we are. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. We're going to learn about Videra Health, what you're doing, you know, sort of the why behind this company for you. Um, but as we always do, we're going to start with two things, the virtual hug and the shameless plug. And part of promoting mental health is the beautiful work companies like you are doing. And we'll start with the virtual hug, which is tell us something or someone you're grateful for today. Yeah, today, especially because we had a long winter and a lot of snow, we're starting to see spring. And so I'm grateful today for nature, the sunshine, um, and the renewal that that kind of brings even to our, our mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Things move in seasons and waves. And so it's been beautiful out this way. I live just north of Nashville and it's the same thing where the, you see the blooms, the dogwoods blooming, and it's just something about being able to shake off the winter and, and head towards something new. So I'm right there with you. So jump into the shameless plug, talk about Videra Health, um, what you're doing. We're going to get into some of the, the accolades and industry honors you guys have been earning, um, but talk about what you're doing and, and especially what you're doing well there. Yeah, yeah. Videra Health is an exciting, um, uh, exciting what we're doing, exciting company and technology. I'm a clinician by background, I'm a clinical psychologist, received my Ph.D., uh, from the University of Houston and went into practice for a lot of years and, and uh, really saw in practice as well as we see today that there's just a shortage of mental health practitioners. Mm -hmm. um, and the work, uh, the demand isn't slowing down. And so really Videro was built on the premise that there's lots of demand, not enough capacity to meet the demand. We have to leverage technology in order to provide the services that patients need and deserve. And so today, Videra Health is an AI-powered um, video assessment platform built to scale those uh, provider-patient interactions. Um, and what, what makes us unique uh, is that we leverage those video, uh, like video check-ins that are done asynchronous, asynchronously, so not live. You don't have to schedule a visit. Um, you can do it on your own time and the provider can review it on his or her own time. And by leveraging that, then uh, uh, we can really get a sophisticated view of what's going on for, for, for patients. And that's what I saw in my own practice um, before starting Videra Health was 
so much is going on outside of the live visits. So much life is happening that influences outcomes, yet we don't have a lot of insight as practitioners, as the healthcare system into what's going on. And so we've really built a sophisticated way to get that sort of insight into what's going on with patients at a personal level, as a population level, uh, to really drive better outcomes. Hmm. Okay. So there's, there's two components of that that jump out for me. There's the asynchronicity and then there's the AI. So, um, talk a little bit more about the asynchronous component of that. What is it about the asynchronous video? Um, and I've seen this in other, other tools, maybe more consumer focused tools. Uh, there's some parallels, but what is it about that, that facilitates the insights into the behaviors? Yeah. So the, the asynchronous piece itself is oftentimes we are just, uh, lacking the data, the info from the, from the patients. And the reason we don't have it is because as a healthcare system, we've made it really inconvenient for those patients to give us the information we need to provide care. Mm -hmm. So traditionally we require them to set an appointment, come to our office, uh, take time off of work, find daycare, drive down, sit in a lot, you know, it's very inconvenient. Yeah. Um, and then we got, you know, more, well, we'll send you an email or send you a text, but still like lots of um, barriers to providing um, uh, uh, that type of information that we need. Yeah. So the asynchronous part of it is really convenient. I um, mean, we've built uh, upon that asynchronous where, you know, things like usernames, passwords, app downloads, you don't have to do any of that in order to provide meaningful information back to your, uh, back to your provider. Uh, and, th and then that really what asynchronous does is solve the scale problem. In traditional, in traditional synchronous interactions, um, even with the advent of telehealth and the surge of telehealth during the pandemic, sure. um, it, it, it was made convenient for a patient where they didn't have to drive somewhere. So right. it, it changed where the location happened, um, but it really didn't change the time required by either party or, or the, the scheduling that you had to sync up. So asynchronous really allows the scalability where a provider can get insight into patients, a thousand, uh, tens of thousands of patients without really having to dedicate any a significant amount of time face to face with that patient. Hmm. Okay. So the, there's this fractional nature of things that's happening. It seems like a lot of things are breaking apart and breaking sounds like a bad thing, but there's, there's also an opportunity within there. So that makes a ton of sense where instead of having to have both people in the same place at the same time, or both people at the same time at the same time, where you are breaking the time and space, not continuum, but you're breaking the time and space requirement. If you, if you are, let me know, because I definitely <laughs> want to try it out. Um, but you're breaking, you're breaking those rules that we formerly had to abide by because the system and our, our technology limitations. Absolutely. And, and, and we're not trying to, you know, replace all face-to-face -face interactions. There's yeah. still need and desire for face-to-face -face interactions. However, we've taken what should be a more um, uh, continuous interaction and, and shoved it into episodic uh, encounters. Okay. And really there's so much about healthcare that can be asynchronous. Um, and, 
is still a portion of, of healthcare and service delivery and treatment delivery needs to be synchronous or live. But a lot of that other stuff can be automated and augmented in an asynchronous fashion and really offload some of that burden from our, our most limited resources, you know, the uh -huh. credentialed um, physicians and providers and staff that um, just, uh, you, you know, need more time to spend on what they do best, which is that face-to-face -face interaction and less time on those parallel and peripheral things that can be automated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So m maybe that leads us into the, the AI portion of things, which is um, being adopted uh, tremendously in different number of ways. And then there's also reticence, of course. And um, I, th I think it was, you know, there's a couple different models, but <clears throat> explain it to me like a, like a five or six year old, the AI component <laughs> of this, which I'm fascinated by as we started this podcast um, and we, we record here in Riverside and then move it over to Descript and Descript is a service, software as a service, AI driven that in a matter of minutes gives us a full transcription via AI of mm -hmm. conversations and it identifies people's voices and mm -hmm. talk about a lovely service that just mm -hmm. solves mm -hmm. for so much typing. And when it comes down to it, the clinician that, and the provider, if, if we're talking about maybe EHR platforms, for example, the amount of time we've spent typing as professionals, even as non-clinicians is astounding compared to um, how fast you and I are talking, you know, just the speed per words is dramatically faster. And now to have technology catch up and do a pretty great job with this, with the service that I've used. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually floored. I'm actually impressed. Um, so talk, talk, talk down to me like a six year old and kind of explain the AI component um, for, for anybody in the audience who might, you know, be a little bit leery of the tech. Um, and yeah. then it's also just typically a simple, beautiful way to, to describe what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a couple ways to think about it. And if we, if we kind of dovetail off of that asynchronous and scalability of healthcare interactions, you really immediately see the need for AI to help us out there. Because we've said, hey, instead of meeting face-to-face one-on-one, uh, we're saying, now you can have interactions with your patients, hundreds and thousands um, asynchronously. Mm -hmm. well, well, now you have this massive data set <laughs> and massive um, amount of data and information about your patients that you, again, don't have providers, don't have a lot of time to go through. So leveraging technology to automate that piece is really where, where uh, uh, Videra specifically um, uh, leverages AI to, to do that. And we do that in a few different ways. And like you mentioned, Steve, like on the, on the transcript, um, there's lots of other AI applications in healthcare right now, especially around EHR documentation, around mm -hmm. transcriptions. We do a little bit of transcribing of the asynchronous video interactions, but we're really not in, in the documentation space, in the EHR yeah. system or record space. We really are um, leveraging technology to learn more about the patient to analyze that and make it actionable for the provider. Hmm. Hmm. So there's a couple layers that we do that by. So if you think of, we take an asynchronous interaction, um, a patient uh, will, will get a, a text invite from our system saying, hey, your provider would like you to check in, just see how things are going. 
Um, they're going to be guided through a structured or semi-structured sort of interview. But again, the provider's not live on the other side. Um, and they're going to record their answers and their responses and submit them. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were live, the provider has been trained through medical school and grad school and, and through experience to look for and listen for certain things mm-hmm. during those interactions. So what we've done at Videra is take all of that knowledge and teach algorithms and machine learning models to look and listen for those same things as if you were going to be in, in the room um, with the patient. Yeah. Yeah. So it's natural language processing, what they're saying, voice analysis, how they're saying it, uh, facial and emotional analysis, what's going on in their affect and visually, and also movement, what's going on, twitches, jitters, eye movements, things of that sort. So we are picking up on rate of speech, um, sentiment, affect, uh, movement analysis. Uh, And so it can really learn what Steve normally looks like, talks like, and sounds like, and then uh, we can also ask it to look for certain things that your provider is um, specializing in. in. In mental health, for example, we're talking about look for depressive affect, anxious speech, suicidal language, things of that sort. Um, but beyond mental health as well, other things. And then we tell the AI to look for that. So a thousand people have taken an asynchronous check-in. The AI goes through and uh, listens and looks for all of those things, transcribes mm-hmm. everything that's said in the video, uh, and then uh, triggers alerts or highlights what's going on for uh, for each patient, and then surfaces those who are you know meeting certain thresholds or struggling in certain areas. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Even on the biohealth side of things, you know, I uh, I go when I go to a doctor, you can just watch them working down the the workflow <laughs> and the work right. tree, right, and right. you know, I think. It's amazing how many hours you've spent just memorizing that and right. getting familiar with it. And to offload that to tech, smart technology is, I think that component makes a lot of sense. Not to say that, yeah, that we throw the baby out with the bathwater or that, like you said earlier, you know, we're not going to need human interaction. Um, but certainly those structural, uh, you know, data driven processes are best for um, you know, certain types of technology. And I don't know if the human brain is at, at some point the best tool for that compared to, you know, um, compared to maybe some other things, but um, what is, absolutely. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's uh, just to add to that, there's, there's the piece where there's still clinical judgment needed, right? Mm-hmm. So the FDA is increasingly starting to regulate the AI space. It's still kind of wild west a little bit. Um, so, so really it's like a sophisticated data gathering with some analysis, but there's still a provider there to make clinical uh, uh, judgments. But to your point, we kind of know the five questions or the 10 questions we want to ask each patient um, uh, that we're treating for certain disease mm-hmm. states or certain mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, and, and that doesn't necessarily you know, take a face-to-face interaction to do that. And in fact, uh, by automating it, we're actually more consistent. When when you're mm-hmm. doing it human-driven, we're actually there's lots of uh, variation and lots of inconsistency about how those interviews or how those um, uh, interactions are done. So you take uh, case managers, care navigators, nurse managers, and there's lots of idiosyncrasies in that, and we can actually make them very consistent. 
And then computers also are very good compared to humans at remembering the previous interactions. As providers, you know, it's really hard to remember what Steve yeah. was like six sure. months ago, right? Because yeah. um, we just kind of, I've met with you and now I kind of just see how you are now. But a computer is really good comparing your current state with a previous state. Hmm. And if we can start to learn those patterns, we can actually start to learn what your, and predict what your future state may be. Hmm. That's great. I mean, I have a hard time thinking about me six months ago, what, you know, trying to remember some one hour conversation I had, Absolutely. like good luck. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so that leads us into a couple things. Um, one is that this topic of value-based care and outcomes. And if you're not familiar with value-based care, you know, it's, it's essentially sort of, I'd say, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years or so, especially a focus on getting toward greater quality and, and better outcomes with, with the care that we're providing and how to incentivize for that uh, through the system is kind of a rudimentary way that I understand it. And we're still driving toward, toward outcomes on the biological, on the biohealth side. And also that's a rich conversation on the behavioral health and mental health side as well. So um, I want to, I want to talk about something you talked about uh, with outcomes and then and then I want to I think that leads us nicely into a conversation about about data which you were talking about earlier and sort of what are some of those gold mines that we've been tapping into that we haven't had access to before and then where those gaps still exist. So to kind of start at the beginning uh, you said this recently about the transition to value-based care. You said how do we get better outcomes? Good outcomes come from good treatment, valuable treatment, and valuable treatment only comes from data-driven clinical decisions. Mm -hmm. We can use technology to enable greater insight into the patient's journey now that we have more data across the whole experience to see what's working, when it's working, for whom it is working, and then really get it value. So talk a little bit more about that. Where, where in your mind are we, especially on the mental and behavioral health side, but maybe healthcare generally, uh, where do you see the value ecosystem and outcomes and, and the data-driven clinical decision-making process? Where are we at? Yeah, yeah. We are trending in the right direction, <laughs> uh <-huh>. but slowly. <laughs> yeah. And mental health and behavioral health is behind the curve. Um, you know, we, we're starting to see more, you know, not just the, the value-based, um, but you're starting to hear other terms and, and performance-based care and measurement-based care and yep. um, outcomes, uh, outcomes-driven treatment and things of this sort. And so we're trending in that right direction. Uh, yet the major gap is still that we're gathering th that information or those measurements still during live encounters, mm. which inherently makes them episodic. So we're actually only really taking small snapshots of the patient journey and then making very significant clinical decisions about what could work or should work for a patient. And then we have this huge gap before we get more data at another encounter. And if something wasn't working, oh, yep. we've lost quite a bit of time, like still quite a bit of trial and error, especially in mental health and behavioral health, um, uh, uh, as well as across the industry uh, where we're losing, you know, weeks and months and years of quality life because we don't have the information that we need at the time we need it. 
-hmm. and we're still shoving it into these these uh, episodic in, encounters. Um, we're, we are starting to see more uh, uh, trend towards continuous monitoring. Mm -hmm. um, so you start to see more remote patient monitoring. Now CMS yeah. has come out with remote therapeutic monitoring codes, which are, which uh, is kind of the tip of the spear for technologists and providers to start to say, hey, we need more information and we, there's vehicles and methods to do that. Um, and, and you see that in chronic illness. Let's say you have oximeters, glucometers for certain things that we're pulling down continuous metrics so we know what's going on with with patients um, but we haven't seen that trend fully get traction in other areas primarily because there's not devices or peripheral devices to track continuously like there are for chronic illnesses hmm. whereas videra health we believe that video capture is actually that device is that method of well how can we get some of that information over time for things that that you can't track from a heart rate monitor. Hmm. Well, okay. the human on video actually is a really good indicator of what's going on for them. Now we just need a method to capture that more continuously outside of live encounters. So I think we're heading in the right direction, slowly, mental health behavioral health is behind, but we're starting to see technologies like Videra Health, like AI, like asynchronous interactions, um, uh, and, and AI-powered analysis to really get at some of that more continuous data. And so back to that quote that you mentioned earlier, that's really where value comes from, is that we have, to, bottom line, we just need more information about how the patients are doing so we can make more informed decisions. Better informed decisions should lead to better treatment, <laughs> and better treatment should lead to better outcomes. Um, but oft, so often we do a treatment based on previous data or, or a snapshot of data, and then we do an intervention, and then we say good luck mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and let us know if it's not working. And we kind of leave, especially in mental health and behavioral health, we leave, we leave people kind of on their own and, and really put the burden on them to tell us if something's going wrong or not, and we lose a lot of um, time, money, resources, um, and life uh, continuing to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to get too sort of philosophical, but, but, you know, it's like the whole world's a stage, you know, we're, we're these actors on it. And it's like, we walk into, you know, maybe some talk therapy or perhaps a doctor's visit. And it's like, there's no backdrop. There's no context. Um, and I know we're getting better and w I would get, uh, you know, out, out of my depth pretty quickly saying what CMS is or, or isn't requiring. Um, but I know like what, in terms of social determinants of health or food, food deserts in your neighborhood, or, you know, certain behavioral signals in your home or with your family, it's a very complicated set of data to figure out mm -hmm. how do we, uh, fairly and ethically request uh, a standardized set of data that provides that context and that backdrop for real health. I mean, and a lot of it is how you're sleeping, you know, some of that can be monitored, how you're eating, what are your, what's your loneliness factor or quotient, you know, those types of things. Uh, what's your work-life environment that we just haven't been able to, to access before. So, so Videra Health, you're saying that video component is 
one of those ways to cross that threshold, get across that screen of, you know, simply the, the patient doctor encounter and have quite a bit more rich context for what's, what's actually going on. Right. You're exactly right. There's so much going on. The research suggests that 80% of what predicts positive long-term outcomes is, is predicted by the things happening outside of the live encounters. Yeah. Yet we don't have a lot of insight into what's going on there. And so we create surveys, we create questionnaires, um, and we send them out. Very poor engagement rates, very poor interaction, yeah, sure. and very limited information because we have to know what to ask. Mm. And then we ask it. And what we've found at Vidare Health is that patients really don't like to be interrogated about how they're, they're doing um, and maybe be guided, but they really want to just talk about what's happening and, we, you know, we found that once you give them that opportunity to tell for them to tell you what's going on, they will. We just don't have the time in live encounters to do that because we're pushing patients through. We got to see all of our patients in the day and staying, keeping the clinic on schedule, things of that sort. But when you really just give them an open-ended um, opportunity to say what's stressing them out, how's work going? My dog, my dog is sick. I just separated from my partner. Um, I'm scared, I'm lonely. These things start to predict oh, disease yeah. state and to predict oh, yeah. pattern and etiology. And, yeah. uh, and we can use that in order to better provide the services that they need, the access to it. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, so we get a real view of what's going on at a personal level as well as a population level um, to make better, uh, better clinical decisions. Mm -hmm. So, that, so that, that's interesting because then it becomes a how to solve for uh, the right sort of acuity for the care and then the right sort of access for the technology because this, correct me if I'm wrong, this could really help uh, standardize across state lines, for example. This could be a national standardization effort where we're actually, we have a, a more complete data set based on... Um, regardless of where you are in the country and specifically to where you are in the country. Um, and that's, I think that's net net positive. Um, I worked for a company that had a, a, an amazing solution to a horrible problem, which was that each state had a, a database of clinicians or doctors or, you know, mm -hmm. NPs who were excluded in, in that one state of providing because of things they've done. And mm -hmm. that, that list for a while was, maybe in a spreadsheet and maybe in somebody's desk drawer and simply by aggregating all 50 plus of those lists of exclusions then we compiled this national data set so that's where it goes in my mind is like you know oh is this is this something that we can hyper standardize across uh, mm -hmm. regardless of where you live because that that gets into the access solution for me mm -hmm. Yeah, the standardization, you know, humans are not standard. Yeah, <laughs> so if we really want to do patient-centered care, patient-centered outcomes, we have to find a way to, quote-unquote, standardize how, how we gain insight into what's driving uh, uh, health outcomes. Now, research is really helpful in identifying social determinants of health, um, access, what's working, what's not working. Um, 
But to put that into real time, to put that into the individual's home, into the individual's own emotional experience, there's still a huge gap, right? We have all this research that, yes, food insecurity will lead to other, okay, we know that. Who in my community has food insecurity? We don't know. Nope. Yeah. The only way to go out there is a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources, and a lot of bias. So when we finally have, if we have a platform that's easy, natural, technology-driven for for uh, the population as a whole to uh, uh, to uh, give us a peek into what's going on in their life, then we can all of a sudden start to actually find out who needs what and when and how to intervene um, and to put to put into practice in, in in real actionable ways all this research that we that we know would be helpful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we used to also say at that company, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of room to grow in terms of yeah. standardizing yeah. the system. And, and, and the human is, yeah, if you know, at some point, uniquely individual that then you still have at least a bedrock of, of standardization. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and to kind of, uh, 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 go off with with that a little bit more is is we do have a lot of standardization in healthcare in fact we've standardized it almost overly standardized it right sure. we have a survey or a questionnaire or a screening tool for every mm -hmm. sub part and part of of depression anxiety trauma all these different things um but we can't necessarily put a patient through a hundred question or 200 question multiple choice survey every couple of weeks to find out what's going on with them there's just no um a real way uh meaningful way to do that um so so at Vidare health we've borrowed a little bit of of what we see in kind of lab work you go in you want to do a panel you draw a vial of blood and they'll run 20 tests on that one vial you had to just interact once but 20 tests come from it or 20 results mm -hmm. video analytics can work the same way we take one video recording 30 seconds, even 60 seconds um, uh, of a patient talking about how their week was or what's what they're struggling with. Um, and we can run that video, 60 seconds of video clip through 60 or 20 or uh, different algorithms. One algorithm is assessing for depression. One algorithm is assessing for anxiety. One is, uh, algorithm is assessing for trauma. Um, so all these different things running off of a kind of a single test, a single assessment, a single encounter. And, and so while we've traditionally tried to standardize it by making very, very structured surveys, mm -hmm. we can also in a, in a, in a similar way, standardize a data capture methodology, but we can run that uh, data through a, a wide variety of, of different algorithms that are not necessarily um, standard to every single patient has to get these these 20 and these only 20 lab tests. It's like, well, no, Steve's being seen for all these other things. Well, let's just flip those algorithms on, run the, the video through all of those and can, can be individualized, but the data capture is standardized. Hmm. That's great. That's that feels good. Um, it's like it's like Procrustes bed where, you know, the guy comes and visits, visits and gets a bed and he's too short so they stretch him out to fit the bed or he's too tall so they cut his ankles off 
And it's like, no, it, it needs a, a, a better, a better bed is what we need, a better system and structure. We don't need to, we don't need to stretch the person through two hundred questions necessarily. Um, when the when you can flip that on its head, and the the, the tests can become uh, can become multiples uh, running uh, running in parallel. Absolutely. So um, I wanted to get to this because this is fascinating. On World Mental Health Day recently you encourage people to take a moment to see in quotes those around you who might be struggling. And we often use that term, uh, you know, seeing a therapist perhaps. And since you have that uh, private practice, private group practice experience uh, in behavioral health, clinical and programmatic consultation, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about this because wh what does it mean to you uh, to be seen and, and how can maybe somebody be, more aware of that in their own lives, like seeing themselves or, or seeing somebody else. Can I talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's something that, that I'm passionate about, that we're passionate about. Um, in fact, Videra it stems from the Latin word to see. Mm -hmm. um, and our slogan here at Videra is see people differently. And I think at, uh, at an individual level, um, as consumers, as humans, we are seeing how technology can cater to my preferences, my convenience, my desires, my likes, my dislikes. How can it help me? Um, yet in healthcare, we haven't quite done that. We've still stuck with the same way we see people is I will see you in a scheduled encounter in my office. <laughs> mm. uh, and now we're saying, okay, well, I'll see you still scheduled on telehealth. And we really want to flip the whole, how do we see people on its head? Um, and that really gets at that asynchronous. Now you can see people um, asynchronously, but also see more of them, more about them, get to know them better. What makes that patient a person, what drives them, what motivates them, their emotions, their movements, their sentiments from a day-to-day -day basis, a week-to-week -week basis. Like there's right now in, in healthcare, not a lot of capacity to, to, to see that. So we want to help people see, we want to help providers see patients differently in a different way, in a different method, turning the traditional uh, encounter on its head, but also see more about the patient, more of the patient understand them at a greater degree um, and leverage technology to help you do that um, to make better decisions. Hmm. And that's and that's kind of what we mean by uh, 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 encouraging people to see others. And we can do that in a very communal, um, very one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, way as well. It's just everyone's a, every one of us is a patient, especially in mental health, behavioral health, everyone is going through something and so taking a moment to really see, not just interact or have an encounter with somebody, but really try to see what's going on for them, what's driving them. And that way, in, in, even in our own communities outside of uh, healthcare delivery, we can um, uh, continue to address and create supportive uh, communities around mental health and behavioral health. Hmm. And I saw that in my private practice, which we can speak a little bit yeah. more about, but that's kind of what we mean by um, uh, uh, seeing people differently. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, you know, in the in the artist world, oftentimes the best art or art teachers say simply, "Look more closely." You know, are you are you seeing what's there? Um, not drawing the lines, but actually seeing the light. So, in some kind of parallel, you're you're 
helping see see a lot more and a lot deeper too. There's a there's a depth and dimension to what you're able to offer. Um, yeah, well, I, I really yeah. like that. I really like that analogy because even in healthcare, we kind of go by vital signs, right? You come in and there's just a certain amount of metrics. I have the time <laughs> to mm -hmm. gather and I'm basing my decisions off of that. And that's really not the full picture, right? There's so much more going on. And we, we talk about holistic care and, and things of that sort, but the reality of delivering that it, it is very limited. There's just not the scalable, uh, a scalable way to do that. So leveraging technologies, um, definitely the way to get in, in, into that greater insight. Um, yeah. and, and you, you had asked the question about the private practice. And, and I think that's what I found. I was work, you know, working full time in, in healthcare as a licensed psychologist, um, in administration actually was, um, doing much more, uh, uh, around the delivery and the, and the ecosystem and started like standing up EHRs, integrating telehealth before telehealth was cool mm -hmm. <laughs> and just doing a lot of that. And uh, was actually teaching at the university at the time. Um, some behavioral health courses. Um, and one of my students introduced me to some technologists. Um, and I had been consulting with some uh, technology companies here in, in Utah. There's big tech boom. So lots of new technology companies um, wanting to get more into healthcare. So I was in my private practice doing a lot of consultation um, for technology companies, uh, as, as well as continuing to do uh, um, uh, psychological evaluations, uh, diagnostics, tracking patients over time, and all of all of it uh, at the time uh, lent itself to oh man, like we are not utilizing technology mm -hmm. as yeah. we should. There's huge gaps in care. We don't have insight. We don't know what happens once the patient leaves the office. And it was about that time that the student introduced me um, to uh, some technologists who um, said who had previously built the world's largest uh, video inter job interviewing platform, asynchronous, AI-driven, nice. and looking to leverage into healthcare. And that's what eventually became, after a couple of years of beta testing and consultation, hmm. you know, what eventually became um, my co-founders and, and business partners and Videra Health. Nice. Okay. I didn't know that it came from a little bit of the outside of the industry. That's, that's interesting. That's fascinating, actually. Well, I know you guys have won the, the People's Choice Award uh, for Best Patient Experience Technology at ATA 2023, and um, you're certainly doing amazing things. And this has been really helpful and valuable for me. I hope it is for everybody listening out there to learn more about, one, what Videra is doing, but two, uh, what's happening in the space that Videra is a part of, this big macro tsunami wave that we're riding. And, um, so congrats to you and your company. I wish you, you. wish you the best. Um, thanks for helping me learn a little bit today, uh, actually quite a bit. So, um, just to wrap up, uh, any contact info you want to share or any, any last thoughts? Yeah. Anyone interested in how to, uh, leverage asynchronous interactions, automated video assessments, AI into practice, um, can email me at brett.vidarehealth.com as well. We're doing a lot of work across the space, across levels of care, across um, uh, uh, conditions um, from all the, the befores, the in-betweens and the afters. Anytime you want to get information from your patient and you don't have the time or the team or the capacity to get that information, that's where we can uh, leverage technology to help you get greater insight into 
your uh, patients' journeys and uh, empower you and augment your clinical expertise uh, to improve care. So uh, we are passionate about moving the needle here, especially in behavioral health and mental health. Um, you know, suicidality is, uh, is, uh, continues to be an issue. Um, uh, pandemic has increased uh, um, uh, depression and anxiety. Lots of work to do. Lots of good people out there doing uh, the work. Not enough of us. How, uh, reach out. We'd love to help you um, uh, uh, scale your healthcare interactions. Awesome. Well, we'll share this out on LinkedIn. It's probably our biggest channel, big healthcare community, B2B community, and, and big behavioral health community. So hopefully some folks uh, get in contact with you. But Dr. Talbot, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Steve, you as well. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.